Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Again, I just want to say how happy and thrilled we are that uh, Brother East is with us this morning. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to hear him preach much, but uh, I can tell you this is a, is an anointed man, a wonderful preacher, pastor in Texas, so don't hold that against him. Um, but uh, he is a terrific man, and he sacrificed his time in his busy schedule to be able to swing by and come through and be a part of our congregation today. And so we just want God to work with him this morning and be his vessel and, uh, and, and bring the word to us this morning. So Brother East, I'm not gonna hold up any longer. If you'd like to come this morning, we're anxious to hear from God. Praise the Lord, everybody. We do it a little bit better than that in Texas. Praise the Lord, everybody. All right, there you go. I just want to say at the outset, and this is, I didn't know about any tragic situation but I want to just encourage whoever it is and I don't I don't need to know that when my mother was senselessly and tragically her life was taken at 59 years old I never thought I'd be able to forgive (laughs) I never thought I'd be able to love but I can tell you that the Lord gave me a psalm I will sing of your power. I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you are my defense. You are my refuge in the day of trouble. To you, oh, my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. David, this is not my message. I just felt like I needed to encourage somebody because this encouraged me. I was at a point where I had to forgive the person that took her life. Didn't think I was able to, but the Lord gave me this and he said, you will. Oh, y'all, y'all get it in a minute. You will be able to. You'll sing again. My praises. You'll sing again. You'll love again. You'll forgive. And I can tell you, she's been gone several years now. And I can tell you, I love with a love that won't be broken. I forgive without condition. And even forgave that man. So whoever it is that's suffering from this, if it's the whole body, the whole family, if you're impacted directly or not, I can tell you, hang on to that song. Your song's going to come back. You will sing again. Be encouraged. And I can also say that Jesus was and is and always will be the answer. Run to him. Come on, rest in his abiding presence. In Jesus' name, praise the Lord. So I hope you're encouraged today. 
And I hope by the time I get done, you're still encouraged. I normally, by the way, Jacob, I just saw him. You got out on that song, dude. That's all right. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that your pastor asked me. I'm sorry that he's not in town. I was texting him this morning, but normally it takes him two or three weeks to text back. And so I'll hear from him next month. (laughs) I was saying, hey, what time is the service? So I'll know next month what time it is. (laughs) But I love your pastor. He's my friend. He's become a mentor to me. I'm not real old. I'm almost 50. Another year. 49's not old. My kids and grandkids think Papa's old, but I'm really not. You'll have my father here, I believe, on Wednesday. Please don't judge me based on that. (laughs) But I am certainly glad to be here with you. Wonderful, wonderful people. What a beautiful presence of God in this house today. I want to ask you a question And I'm not expecting an answer. It's rhetorical. So I would ask this. I'm like an old, let me just tell you at the outset, I'm like a 1972 model Chevy pickup with a 350. Takes me a little bit to get warmed up. My dad comes with the accelerator stuck on wide open. I don't do that. But let me ask you this rhetorical question. Why are you here? Why are you, why do you come to church? Why do you do the things that you do? We began to sing that song, or they sang that song, and I was just blessed by it. What a wonderful job. Listen, you guys are blessed. They did a wonderful job this morning. (laughs) It shouldn't have been just, it shouldn't have been just 20 or 25% of the church up here. It should have been all of us just basking in his presence. Whatever you need is in his presence. Hallelujah. They begin to sing that song, we worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. From generation to generation, we worship you. We praise you. We magnify and glorify and lift up your name. I want to read verses of scripture. I don't normally title my stuff, but I, I do that just for my notes and in word so if I need to go look something up I can type it in a word document and find it but I want to read to you out of the book of Judges chapter number 2 and please understand I come to you today as as humbly as I know how but I want to challenge you and provoke you if you're new here today just bear with me till the end it might get good don't run in the middle Judges chapter number two, I want to read a couple of verses of scripture. Thank you, sister. You were awesome. I was going to get that cat daddy that was on these drums. Man, that guy was kicking that bass, wasn't he? Amen. I think last time I was here, I scared y'all with some singing, so I won't do that again. The Bible says in the book of Judges chapter two, verse number one, then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bohem, And said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land 
of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant. Now we could preach on this verse, but that's not where we're at. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. I'll interject, you should make no covenant with this culture. Hold on, let me set the mic down because my papers are going to fly. That's what happens when you bend them. I'm not nervous, are y'all? <laughs> Elder Kylie said I wouldn't get paid, so I really don't care. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Skip down to verse number six. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to each or each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. I apologize, I'm not, in a, I'm not like my father. I can't cry and preach. I feel like just laying over and crying, but I wanna to talk to you for a few minutes. I don't know how you do it here, but I'll do it my way. Uh, on this, the consequences of compromise. If you'll lay your Bibles down, let's pray one more time. Thank you all for all the prayer and intro. But let's just raise our hands as is our custom. Let's just ask the Lord just to do his thing. Can we do that together? Father, we love you. God, we love you more than life. I thank you, God, that you're that father that will wrap us in your arms and hold us when we need. You're a father, God, that will discipline and correct when needed. You'll lift us up. You'll heal us. You'll comfort us. God, I thank you for your word. It's the answer to everything. I thank you that your word can challenge, provoke, and press until the good oil comes. I thank you for these precious people and this opportunity to be with them today. God, I ask that you would be with us the next few moments. You know that I can't preach, God, so I'm, allow, I'm asking you, God, to let your anointing flow right now. Begin to destroy the yoke of bondage, of fear, of doubt, of pain, of unforgiveness, of bitterness. <laughs> In Jesus' name, 
we ask, believe, and pray together, and everyone would affirm and say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn. Turn to the, turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you ready? Oh, y'all got to say it with more conviction than that. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, you're going to make it a long sermon if you do that. Are you ready? Is anybody in here ready for the Lord just to do something different? Hallelujah. I better let you be seated. You may be seated. I don't normally feel sorry for people that have to stand in church. I do it for the whole three hours. So because you stand 15 minutes, I don't feel sorry for you. I weigh 320 pounds. Be my feet. I don't want to. I've already upset someone. (laughs) But the, I, I want to come today, and hopefully you'll feel my heart as we get into this. But when we talk about generational things, and we can define generations, and we, you know, I might talk about that a little bit more. But when we talk about those, how many of you remember when you were growing up, you heard the story of your grandpa or your grandma? Or if you're, I guess, my wife's from up north, and I think it's grandma and grandpa, but we're a little bit different in the south. You remember those stories? How many of you remember the stories of your parents or your aunts and your uncles? Anybody? How many of you remember them being exactly the same every time it was told? Only one person raised their hand. They'll be at the first one at the altar for telling the fib. <laughs> they change. Each generation gets a different version. My father is wonderful at that. And y'all can tell him I said that from the pulpit. He's a wonderful storyteller. And I've noticed that, and as I was praying and asking God to help me, and as this came, I realized that there's something lost with every generation. There's something that happens that's not transferred, that's not given from generation to generation. God gave us his name. He gave us his name, Yahweh, to be remembered forever. Never to be forgotten. Never should we forget the revelation of who he is. But herein lies the danger. There will be a generation that will arise that does not know this Yah this Yahweh, this Yeshua, this Jesus. There'll be a generation that comes up that because somewhere along the lines we lost the story. Y'all don't love me yet. (laughs) So generations, there's sons, and hence this is our text where we find that he said there'll be a, a generation that comes after. They won't know God They won't even know the things of God. Oh, does anybody live in the culture that I live in? 
We're not to be a subculture of this culture. We're to be a counterculture to this culture. And I'm sick of the church assimilating when they should not be. They should be evangelizing. I had to give you a little pastor thing there. And that's what's happened. And so we have this first generation. This first generation, God delivered them out of Egypt through Moses. They wandered for 40 years. Their hardness of heart, their inability to trust, their inability to believe God kept them in this wilderness for 40 long years. They lived in this constant cycle of backsliding and renewal backsliding and renewal, falling away from God and then being renewed again. Over and over again, it was this continual backsliding and renewal for 40 years. You would think that there was this horrible sin that was committed by the children of God. There was this horrible, tragic sin that they committed or perpetrated, but their great sin was their unbelief. Their great sin was their doubt and God judged them. They would not see, the first generation would not see the promised land. Oh, I hope you're with me. Some of us people have been saved for many, many years. I've been preaching for 25 years, pastoring for about half of that. And I'm convicted when I look and see things. Over and over again, they went through this cycle. But see, they had something that kept them in a constant state of renewal, a constant state of reviving. Not only did they backslide, but they were renewed when they backslid. They didn't stay in a backslidden state. But they could come back because they were tethered by their testimony. They had many, many testimonies. They saw many, many wonderful miracles. They knew what it was like to live in bondage. They knew what it was like not to have the liberty and the freedoms that we enjoy. They saw the plagues. They saw the Red Sea. They remember crossing on dry ground. They saw their enemy be swallowed up by this water. They saw water come from a rock that would sustain nearly three million people. They would have their groceries delivered every morning from heaven. Everything they saw, they remember, they saw the miraculous provisions of God. They saw the ground open up and swallow Achan. They saw the lightning. They heard the thunder on Mount Sinai. They remember a pillar of cloud By day, a pillar of fire. By night, they saw some things. They saw Miriam with leprosy, and they saw her healed of the same. They saw fiery serpents bite and kill people, and they saw a brazen serpent redeem them. They had a testimony. They had something that tethered them together. Then we have the second generation The second generation is the generation to cross over the Jordan. They also grew up hearing the stories of mama and daddy, grandma and grandpa, aunt and uncle. They heard those stories. They listened to them over and over again. They also saw 
and had their own testimony. They saw the Jordan River stand at a heap on one end. They saw when the priest stepped into the water that this would happen. The, the ministry of the priest listened to God and they saw the obedience of the ministry and they saw the miraculous power of God. They saw after marching around Jericho that God would deliver that city into their hands without one shot being fired. One weapon being raised, God would deliver Jericho into their hands. They saw the fulfillment of prophecy of their enemies fleeing them. They saw the sun stand still so they could have more daylight to defeat their enemies. They also ate from vineyards that they did not plant. They occupied houses that they did not build. They drank cool water from wells that they did not dig. They had their own testimonies. These memories and testimonies served as a rallying cry for revival. It was these memories and testimonies that served as a reference point for them to constantly look back upon. It was these memories and testimonies that enabled them to return to God over and over and over and over again. Oh, are you seeing a mirror image of America yet? Over and over again, they could return to him when the consequences of their sin became too burdensome. It was their testimony that served as a reference point to get back to God again. They had a testimony. Even though they frequently went away from God, their testimony was a point of reference that led them back to God again. When they would fall headlong into sin and rebellion, a prophet would come along and say, don't forget how the Lord your God brought you out. Don't forget where you came from. And he would tell them, return and repent. There was always a story. There was always a testimony. There was always a backward look to what God had done. I want you to know today that our testimonies, they are our anchor points in our lives. When we fall away, we always have a testimony of what God has done in our lives. When things are down, when things look bad, we always can look back at a better day. Whenever we fall away, we always have a testimony. Whenever we become discouraged, we can look back at our testimony. When we, when we fall or when we fail and we can't feel like we can carry on, we can look back at our testimony. When we've retreated and when we've done wrong, we can look back at our testimony. Back to a time when we were first saved. Back to a time when we were baptized and filled with his Holy Spirit. Back to a time when we were healed and delivered. Back to a time when he comforted us and he raised us up. Back to a time when he gave me peace when there seemed to be no peace. There's a God when I, that I can look back to from my generation that I know answers prayers. Thank God for my testimony. We used to sing a song that went like this. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out. Hallelujah. Praise and thank God for what? Oh, Lord. 
See, I'm convinced that the seven churches in the book of Revelation was for us because we had to be reminded, don't forget where you came from. As, as it would be told to Saul, Saul, you forgot the ditch from whence you were digged. You forgot that place. Don't lose that testimony, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. Don't quit telling the next generation. Don't get down and out. Keep speaking. Keep preaching. Keep teaching. Keep talking. Keep worshiping. Keep praising. My testimony. There's power in a testimony. Hallelujah. Now, I know that was better in the last two minutes than what y'all responded. Elder, get them, get them ushers ready again. We're gonna have to do another one. That's a little Texas humor. Y'all need to relax. <laughs> Our testimony. I want you to know, especially those that are hurting, if you're discouraged, and down, you have a testimony that you can look back on and fall back on today. There's a place that you can reach back to, a reference point, and I can look back and see the goodness of Jesus. If God could deliver you yesterday, the same God will deliver you today. If the God yesterday gave you comfort, that same God today can give you comfort because my Bible says in the Old Testament that he's the Lord my God and he does not change. The New Testament writer would follow it up and say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that tell me? That means no matter what I'm going through, my God is still an almighty God, that Jesus is still on the throne. Oh, y'all aren't with me yet. Now, when I get warmed up and start screaming, y'all get excited, okay? <laughs> We're tethered by a testimony. If God could forgive your sins yesterday, he'll forgive your sins today. If you've never been forgiven, if this is your first time, God will forgive you today with no strings attached. Come on, he loved you enough to take your sins upon him on the cross that you might live free. Oh, there's not some folks that believe that. If he could break the chains yesterday and wash you white as snow, he can do it today. There's power in a testimony. Don't ever forget what God has done in your life. Don't ever forget. Don't stop telling your kids. God has brought us, as the song would say, from a mighty long way. God has delivered us. God has healed us. God has saved us. Don't forget your testimony. There's some things that you can do because of your testimony. Because of your testimony, you can stand in the face of uncertainty. Because of your testimony, you can look, look adversity in the face and you can stand. Hardship will not take you down because of your testimony. Your trials will not keep you in bondage because you have a testimony. What seems to be impossible situations, I can run to the word of God and by faith, I've got a testimony I can get my answer I will not be defeated because I have a testimony we know his promises are true we have tasted and seen that the Lord he is good we know that his mercy endures forever hallelujah even if I fail on the grace part I've got a God that's loaded with mercy 
Oh, I'm not telling you to go sin presumptuously. I'm not telling you to trust in mercy. I'd rather be saved by grace than take a chance on mercy. But I'm just telling you, if you fail, God delights in mercy and it endures forever. I've got a testimony. I can tell somebody that you can forgive again that you can be healed, that you can have comfort. I don't cry all the time over my mother anymore because I've got a testimony that my mother told me some things and then I saw some things and I've shared it with my kids and I share it with my grandkids and I'm encouraging you today, tell your testimony to them. Let them know how good God is. Let them know that he died for them. Jesus Christ went to the cross for them. We have a testimony. We don't stand here today with simply a document, but we have a testimony of how God changed our lives, how God filled us, how God delivered us, how God saved us, how God changed us forever and ever. The power of a testimony. Every time they failed, they had a testimony to draw from. A testimony, a well, a reservoir, a depository of the grace of God, something that you and I could look back upon. We had that place, a testimony. But now we come to the text. The problem, however, arises in future generations. In our text, we read about the second generation that crossed over the Jordan. They grew up hearing the stories, a second generation that had some stories of their own. But the Bible says, I'll read again to you, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done. In other words, there was a generation that rose up without a testimony. Oh, I, I know if you're about my age or older, you realize that there's a generation rising up. They don't have a testimony. God help me, Jesus. We've gotten accustomed to living on yesterday's stories. I'm telling you to tell your testimony so they can see your testimony. Let them see it, not just hear it. Let them see not us just talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. We'll follow them but that believe, but let them see it. Not just hear it. I've heard it preached, but I've not seen it since I was young. I'm just going to be transparent with you. Y'all, may, y'all are probably a lot more spiritual than me, but you know I've only been saved for a little while. The tragedy is there's a generation that's rising up with no testimony, a generation that rose up without a story, a generation that rose up without deliverance, a generation that rose up without definitive lines that were drawn in the sand where they had to pick and choose and make a stand for God, a generation that rose up without any transformations in their lives, a generation that had no testimony. They didn't have a story of their own. How many times have we heard Previous generations look around and criticize the current generations. I'm guilty. I'll raise my hand. I'll raise both of them since y'all won't. How many times have we heard the older generations or previous generations, including mine, criticize the millennials? 
criticizing the demise of a younger generation, looking at their waywardness, looking at their folly, their utter lack of discretion, their lack of commitment, their lack of a testimony. We've all heard it now. We've all heard it growing up. We've even looked and given our own opinions and commentaries to and about this and the next generation. The question that begs to be asked is, where do the values of the next generation come from? They come from the example and tolerance of the older generations. I told you it's gonna get heavy on you. If you're new in here, just hang in, hang in, hang in. They come from us tolerating, compromising. I've got four grandchildren, one in the hopper being proof baked right now. That means I got a daughter-in-law that's pregnant. And when I look at those babies and they come running to me, Papa, Papa, I love you. And anybody that's a grandparent knows exactly what I'm talking about. They own you. And I look in the mirror and I say, God, don't ever let me quit telling them about you. I can't quit fighting. I can't be discouraged. I got to let them know Papa's got a testimony. And let them see Papa live it. I want to take your attention back to the first part of the chapter. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal Bohem and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to a land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars but you have not obeyed my voice. Why, why have you done this? The first generation comes out with miracles, with signs, with wonders. The second generation goes in to possess the land, but they get comfortable in the land. Listen, let me interject here. The old song says we're just a pilgrim passing through. I'm not hanging out here forever. My eternal home's with Jesus. It's not in this place forever. I may get 70 or 80 or 90 if I'm lucky here. And if God tarries, I'll go on to be with him hopefully. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not building on temporal investments. My investments are eternal. I don't care about my 401k. I don't care about my stock portfolio. I don't care about how many CDs I've got. I'm investing in heaven. Because nothing you have is worth heaven. Alas, the third generation does not know God. They don't know the things of God. Hear me very clearly. The next generation does not have our testimony. They only have our example. What one generation tolerates as intrusions to godliness and holiness, the next generation will embrace. 
When one generation is unfaithful to spiritual disciplines, the next generation will abandon them altogether. I know it's heavy for a Sunday morning, but please stick around. You dear, precious people in this room. We may be able to to treat church as an elective. We may be able to treat everything that the church offers as an elective event. And we could probably still survive because we have a testimony. You may be able to live an inconsistent spiritual life. You may be able to pray inconsistently. You may be able to serve God inconsistently because you have a testimony. So when you get in trouble, you know where to go. But that life of inconsistency does not give your children or your grandchildren and future generations a testimony. Instead, it gives them an example of mediocrity, complacency, and indifference toward God and toward the things of God. Although you may be able to survive it, you might be able to survive from a life that's not fully committed to the will and to the way of God because you have the capacity by the grace of God and your testimony to turn around when you get in trouble. But your children and your grandchildren and the future generations do not have that same ability. The consequences of mediocrity, complacency, apathy, and indifference are not fully realized until the next generation. Please hear me, Christians. Please hear me, America. If you're my age or older, you realize our country has gone a crazy direction. We need to quit saying we don't talk about politics. Listen, God's moral law is not political. God's moral law is supreme. Politics answers to God. Oh, y'all need to hear that again. God's moral law is supreme. Hallelujah. And I'll say since we're in an election cycle, it doesn't matter who gets in office if God is not the God of your life. Hmm. They don't have it. They don't have what we have. You see, the second generation can play around with the bales. The second generation can worship idols. The second generation can play around with the Canaanite gods and the second generation can play around with the Canaanite customs. The second generation can neglect and even forget their devotions. They can even forget their disciplines because they know enough about God that if they get in trouble, they can turn back to God. But the kids, the grandkids, the third generation that grows up in their homes don't know anything about the Red Sea. They've never heard the story about the water coming from the rock. They don't know anything about manna from heaven because we quit telling them our testimony. The kids that grow up in a home that always is criticizing the church, always criticizing the man of God and the ways of God. They don't know anything about sacrifice. They know nothing about commitment, but they know everything about gossip and tailbearing. I'm a pastor first. 
What are they learning in your home? The kids that grow up in a home where church is optional and everything else or something else is always taking precedent. It's always more important. What are they learning? They're learning conditional commitment. The kids that grow up in your home, what are they learning? Our grandkids and kids are growing up in homes without a foundation that's firmly on the rock. This is it, folks. Don't don't pick up any extra biblical writings and stand on them. I don't care what anybody writes. This is your rock. This is your answer. This is it. You don't need another book in your library. You need the Bible. Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and hide it in your heart because one day you might not have it. What are they learning in our homes? They have no foundation. So when those kids get in trouble, they turn and go somewhere else. They get in trouble. They look for other options. They look for other answers because they have no testimony. Because the third generation does not have that testimony. They only have our example of constant compromise. Remember the title? Of my message. There is a cost, folks, to compromise. And it may not be realized until the next generation. How selfish would we be to live as if we're the only ones? Because God may tarry another thousand years. I have no idea. I can't see it. I can't see it happening that long. But I may die and there may be another ten generations. I have no idea. But I can't quit preaching. I can't quit teaching. I can't quit praying. I can't quit dedicating those rooms. We watched, we watched that war room at our church on the big screen on Wednesday night. By the end of the movie, we wasn't as entertainment. We didn't have drinks and sodas and all that stuff going in popcorn. I made it clear to them. And isn't it funny that someone that may not hold everything like I hold everything in Scripture could produce a movie like that with such power and conviction that in my church, people would be renewed in the Holy Ghost from watching a movie. Because it's time for us to get back in our homes and make them, get us some prayer closets. Let your kids, I know when I was a kid, I remember my my grandparents and their generation, they called it the woodshed. And it wasn't just to whip you in. They went out there and they would pray until literally they would have holes in the knees of their pants because they would be on their knees praying and petitioning God and pleading before God so long. But you know what they would do? They would see the power of God in action. They would see miracles, signs, and wonders not just preached about but lived out the third generation all they got is this example of constant compromise the third generation the third generation needs and must have a good example they must have a godly example if there's no difference in the church in the world what can we offer them I'll let that sink in a moment. The identity crisis is not that we're separate, or is not what we look like. The identity crisis is
we forgot how to do some things. We forgot when the power of God's moving that these people are not here to entertain me. They're helping us usher in the presence as we collectively worship him. And a lot of times we wait until Sunday morning for them to pump us up and jazz us up instead of coming in. Why don't we tear the house down before they get here? These little children that left out of here, they're little repeat machines. They mimic stuff. I used to warn all four of my kids, I will beat you half to death if you say anything you heard in the house at church. Oh, I know y'all are Holy Ghost filled. Y'all don't do that. I get it, right? Don't you dare repeat that. Wow, y'all must have some good children up here in Wisconsin. (laughs) See, the third generation, they don't have your testimony. I'm not only wanting to encourage you, I'm imploring with you today. I'm imploring with the seasoned saints of God. Go back to those old faithful and proven ways that if the doors of the church house are open, you're in the church house. Whenever they're unlocked, you, maybe if they're not unlocked, you're beating on the door. You're calling your pastor saying, I'm here. I need to touch God. I'm here. I'm here with my sister. I'm here with my brother. I'm here to do a Bible study. I'm here with someone. I need to get back to that. That's what we need to get back to. Those old faithful ways where extracurricular activities were always subject to God and the service and faithfulness to him. If Little League... If Little League and baseball and basketball and football take precedent over Sunday school, shame on you. Change your schedule. Teach your kids that the things of God are far more important than anything in this world. I need God more than I need a glove on my hand. Hallelujah. That's good whether you like it or not. I'm sick and tired of people in Christian homes that would give up God time for golf give up God time for a football game I know down in Texas Dallas Cowboys are big up here Green Bay's big but let me tell you something (laughs) I don't know what do y'all call it mean green what do y'all call the green and gold (laughs) my son loves the Packers my middle son. I'm still praying that he gets saved. <laughs> all, all of my folks on the right understand where I'm coming from. But can I tell you that if they can go to a football game in sub-zero weather with the cheese thing on their head with no shirt on like a maniac, why in God's name are you afraid to lift up Jesus in the house? What are we teaching our kids that's important? If church is optional to you, they'll forsake it altogether. And then you'll wonder, why is my child doing this? Why are they running to that? Because the third generation doesn't have your testimony. So they'll run to drugs. They'll run to sex. They'll run to everything they can because they, have, they do not have your testimony. So they're looking for that thing in the world that Jesus can only fit. There's a puzzle piece in all of us that only he can fit. Are y'all with me yet? Only he can feel. Nothing in the world can feel that thing but Jesus. Oh, Lord, the third generation, please, seasoned saints, I'm imploring you, start living for God again. 
those old faithful ways that say, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. We had a bad drug problem in my house when I was growing up. They drugged me to church, drugged me to Sunday school, drugged me to everything there. I was a drug addict when I was little. Tell me when God's word changed that the kid rules the home. Well, baby, we'll do that. We'll do that instead of go to church today. And then smile real. Y'all have met my father, right? He's an absolute maniacal maniac when it comes to discipline. Understand what I'm telling you very clearly. He was abusive. (laughs) Hey, by definition today, it's true. (laughs) They said I had ADD or ADHD as I got older because it wasn't a diagnosis then. And the only cure for it was a razor strap on the backside, right? You ain't going to be hyper. <laughs> Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. There were no, there, there was not this level, there were no levels of discipline. It was all beatings. Got spanked for everything. <laughs> the third generation. We need some people to stand up again in their homes. Men, listen to me. You got to stand up. Give your wife an example to follow. Quit wondering why the house is out of order when you're not giving the example. See, they want, oh, thank you, one man. <laughs> Rest of y'all are scared. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Those old faithful paths, those old faithful ways that have, they don't have one way of living and being in the church and a complete different way of living and being at home and a complete different way at work or while I'm out of town or on vacation. Those old ways were steady. They were true. But a faithfulness, we need a faithfulness to the ways of God again. We need consecration to God again. Consecration to a lifestyle of godliness and holiness. Consecration to prayer. Consecration to fasting. If you want revival in this region, it's gonna take some folks duplicating themselves. If you've been saved 50 years and you've never had one person come to you with church, to church and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, shame on you. But today is a day you can change that. Today is a day you can go into the, listen, silence is not golden, folks. Uh, silence is permission. Look at the world around us. Look at our culture because the pulpits got silent. The lambs went to sleep in the pew and now we have debauchery in our public schools. We have filth on every corner. Why? Because the first and second generation quit holding steadfast to some some things of God. Their consecration was conditional. Well, if he does this or if he does that or if he preaches this or if he preaches that, I'll be this way. Quit worrying about what your pastor preaches and come in here and receive the word. All all we have to offer to our children is an example. They're going to have to get a testimony of their own. They will never get the testimony 
Hear me clearly. They will never get the testimony without first getting the example. The example that we lead is the testimony that is before them. How they see us at home is the testimony that's before them. And I'm not just talking about children. Understand, I'm not making this just about kids. It's about all of us. For those of us that have hold, been hold, trying to hold true, people are looking on to us. Not just our kids, but visitors. People that come in. If you're participating in things that are right on the edge, what is it about you folks that, that want to hang out in the world but still get the things of God and the benefits of God? It's time for us to be the church. It's time for us to be the church. It's not time for us to acquiesce. It's not time for us to advocate our responsibilities. It's time for us to stand up and be heard. It's time for holiness to take forefront. It's time for godliness to take the forefront. It's time for us to let the world know, I will not bow. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to back off. He said, occupy till he comes. I... I intend to do that until he comes. I will occupy until he returns. Examples. I will continue as long as I have breath to be very candid about this culture. Rather than evangelize the world, the world evangelized us and we've assimilated to a culture rather than become a counterculture to the world. And I'm not just talking about Pentecostals. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about our American, our American heritage, everything. You just lump it in there. But us Pentecostals, those of us that say we hold the banner of truth, we got some, as Ricky Ricardo told Lucy, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. <laughs> I can see on that day when I go before there, I don't want his words to be to me, James, you've got some explaining to do. I want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You passed on the story. You passed on the example. You passed on the testimony. Well done. I'll always be candid. Our culture is not going to push us closer to God. Little League is not going to push you closer to prayer. All my, my grandkids, well, I got, all my kids played Little League. My son, my middle son, Braden, he lettered in basketball and baseball two of the years. But can I tell you, when he was in high school, <laughs> They would have him pray over the events. They would have him pray over stuff, and he never missed a Wednesday night for a tournament. Certainly never missed a Sunday. And guess what? He knew where dad stood, but he made his own decision. And he told the coach, Jacob knows my son. He didn't get his levelness from me. He didn't get that level-headed stuff from me, I can tell you. Braden stood up. And as a junior in high school, they started calling him Little Preacher. 
because he made his mind up. Nothing's more important than my relationship with God. Today, he's on our pastoral staff. Today, he's married, has two beautiful children, and he's living for God, and he's teaching them the same things because he understands the power of a testimony. I'm almost done. Another preacher moment. I don't know if y'all have musicians that come up or whatever, but this culture is not going to press you to Jesus, folks. Your career, listen, when Bill Gates, the wealthiest man on the earth, dies, he's going to die broke. He might have a lot of money in the bank, but he ain't going in that casket with it. His soul at that moment will be set asleep for judgment. Nothing in this life is worth it. We should never take our clues from this ungodly and perverse culture. This culture embraces immodesty on every level. This culture embraces disobedience and rebellion on every level. This culture embraces no accountability, no submission. This culture even embraces fornication and adultery. And the list goes on and on and on because God's moral law has not been trumpeted by the church. Instead, the church has wanted to be like the world. Drugs and alcohol are okay and we celebrate them. We even have states now that it's legal to buy marijuana. God is bad. Marriage is bad. Commitment is bad. It tells us we can't stand for the biblical definition of marriage. We can't even stand for the idea of traditional marriage and traditional family without being called some horrendous name. I don't hate anyone. But I love a holy God. Parents grandparents, saints, church we have to take a stand now we have to take a stand for godliness and righteousness for morality for the ways of God and the things of God don't forget your testimony don't give your testimony up for things in this life don't walk away We're fighting a tidal wave where every foundational thing is being threatened to be washed away. Every foundational principle in the scripture is threatened to be washed away. Things that were held near and dear to our forefathers in this country, things that were held near and dear to the forefathers in our faith are threatened to be washed away. If we are silent, the next generation will go with the tide. If we continue in our silence, the next generation is all but lost. Again, I'm not talking about just children, but the next generation of believers that God is wanting us to share our testimony. Today, now more than ever, More than any other time in our history, it's time for the church to be the church. 
It's time for those people that wrap themselves in the name of Jesus. It's time for us to stand up and hold that banner high because he's still the answer for the world today. The song says above him there's no other. My Jesus is the way. Regardless of what popular preachers on television may say or on radio or on the internet. Regardless of what they might say that there's other options and there's other roads. I can assure you today that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to get to him. Jesus is the way. You can't just wink when your kids are dressed like street walkers. When your kids are dressed like thugs, you can't just wink at it. When they're tattooing and piercing themselves up, up as the pagans did in demonic worship for thousands of years. I have, let me just be honest with you today. If you have tattoos, I have them. I lived wild. I pierced myself. I got inked. When I did it, it was complete rebellion. I can tell you in 81, 82, it wasn't everywhere. But that was before Jesus. I don't want to mess with this temple now. We're just winking as parents at this next generation. Nobody wants to talk about it. Listening to and watching ungodly and unwholesome things in our homes, in our cars. Some of you even let your kids do it in the cars that you bought them. You can't just act like you don't see it. You can't just act like you can't hear it. You can't just block it out, it's real. You can't just ignore it. I'm convinced most of this generation and even some of us in here today don't think anything about it. We don't think anything about the spiritual ramifications of our actions. I wanna let you know there's a force in this world that is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing to rob from you, to destroy you, and to even kill you. This force doesn't want you in church collectively. He didn't say we would all agree on every single thing. Get over yourself, man. Come on. You don't get along here, there's a good chance you won't go to heaven. I'll turn to the drum pit. <laughs> this idea that there's going to be multiple heavens is of the devil. That you can act like anything and be like anything and do anything here, but you'll still attain heaven while you hate your brother here. My Bible tells me that if I don't forgive, I cannot be forgiven. Your Bible says it too in the book of Matthew. It's pushing and pushing. It wants to kill, steal, and destroy. We're going to have to take a stand again. It's going to take some mamas and daddies, some first generation and second generation Pentecostals to stand up and say, as for me and my house, that means this abode, that means the place that I live, as for me and my house, we will serve. We are going to serve. We will be in church. You will go to Sunday school. You will be taught 
I know it's heavy for Sunday morning, but please understand my heart. I believe that time is too short for me to come up here and just patty cake with you. I'm not into nursery rhymes and mother goose. I want to provoke you into action. Provoke you into being what you profess to be. I want to see miracles. I want Pastor Kylie to call me and say, dear God, there's so many miracles we can't even log them. I'm getting calls every day. There's people slain in the spirit in the streets. There's people being healed of cancer and being delivered of AIDS in the streets. Oh, if you'll just buy this, come on. If you'll just grab this today, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He Hallelujah. Listen, listen, I don't care. I don't care what ball game is on on Sunday. You be in the house of God. You have your kids in the house of God. I don't know why I keep bringing up ball game, but somebody, I hope you feel conviction today. I'm disgusted with all professional sports, so I don't even look at them anymore. I used to be a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan. I can't stand them. It's all about money and filth and debauchery. They don't promote anything that I believe in. I'm not here to tell you to quit watching football or baseball or basketball or any of those things or going to games. I'm telling you to put it in its rightful place. And it's always subject to God and the things of God quickly. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you stand? There are innumerable examples we could go on and on and on. They're innumerable what competes for my time, what competes for my affection. Everything's pulling on me. Everything's competing. And when I don't have God in the rightful place, everything else wins. And it's constant pool. Do you think that our enemy, the prince of this earth, do you think he takes a day off just so you can relax? He's constantly knocking. He's constantly pressing. He's constantly pushing. And if you're not battling back in prayer, if you're not battling back in fellowship, if you're not battling back in faithfulness, you will succumb. Come on, there is no lukewarm Christian, folks. God, Jesus put us all in two categories. He said you're either gathering or you're scattering. You're either with him or you're against him. There's no two ways about it. You either is or you ain't. If y'all don't know, that's just Southern terms. You today have some choices to make. You today need to make some things abundantly clear. As you look in the self-examination mirror, You need to make some choices. Don't get on to your kids for being heathens if you're rebellious, unfaithful. No accountability. Then wonder why your kids don't get it. Wonder why they're not listening. I have four. My oldest is 33. My youngest is 25. 
And I will have to tell you, since I had grandkids, I really don't care about them anymore. <laughs> I'm not trying to distract you with that. It just... But I'm glad to tell you today that all of my kids, my oldest one, he's still struggling. But the three that are in the town that I live in, they're all saved, they're all married, raising their kids up in church. They're active. The oldest one's still acting like a heathen, but he's coming. Because my Bible told me if I just train them up, if I just teach them and share some stuff with them when they're young, if I just make it known what Joshua said, as for me in my house. One day I'll see Ryan cross through those doors. Parents, Christian saints, you can survive this because you have a testimony. You can survive even the lukewarm. You can survive the hot and cold, the in and out. You can even criticize the church. You can even criticize the pastor. You can survive all of that because you have a testimony and you're big enough to come back to church. You're big enough to suck it up. But your kids and their kids and their kids, the third generation, they are not. You might survive, but it'll be at the cost of them. What's tolerated again in the second generation becomes normalized in the third generation. What you do and allow in your home will become absolute truth for your children. Listen, there's 168 hours in a week and we give about two on average to God in a house. Some of you may come on every service. You might have four, maybe six hours here. But the reality is the third generation sees more at home and at school than they do at church. What disciplines are in place? We're tolerating. A general rule of leadership is whatever you tolerate in regards to ungodliness and sin. Those that look to you will take it at least one step further. The commitments you make in godliness, holiness, and righteousness, the people who look to you will take it a step shorter. We as Christians have this uncanny ability that anything related to the church or the work of God, we just shoot for the minimum. It's the only place in our lives that we shoot for the minimum. That's not about true, that is true. We don't tell our kids, go get that C, honey, at school. I'm believing you'll get that C, baby. You get that 70, that's right over it. You're gonna make it, man. No. But in church, when there's a prayer meeting called, three people show up. Pastor begs and pleads that we need revival. He feels it. We must take a stand now. Now is the time. Today is the day. We did not choose our heritage, but we're now choosing the heritage of the next generation. I had no say in how 
I got here, I had no say in who my father is or my mother. I didn't have any say in that. I didn't have any say in where I was born and what I was born into, the circumstances that surrounded me. You didn't either. But here's the beauty of it. You have a say now. You can make a choice today. Today, I can make a choice. You're right. You right now are making choices on the heritage that you're handing to your children. Now, I don't know how y'all do it here. I'm going to finish up. But the altar, I assume, is right here. And I know I preached primarily to the church today. If you're new, I'll talk to you in just a moment. But you may say, my children are grown, or I don't have any children, or I don't have any grandchildren. But you're making choices on what kind of heritage this church and the church is going to hand to the next generation. If God tarries and you die, will this be left as a legacy or a curse? Right here. What will Oconomowoc, I believe that's where we're at. The names you guys have up here are ridiculous. What will they say about this church if God tarries in 50 years? What will they say about the people? Those, my God, you should have seen them. Their face just shone with the glory of God. We'd drive by there and we would feel something. I don't know what it is, but there's just something different about that abundant life group. I, I, I don't, I'm not really sure how... There's something going on there. I've never even been in there, but there's something. Well, they saying that. This is why we must move forward. This is why your church says give. This is why your pastor says pray. This is why your pastor says press. This is why he's up here. Listen, I'm a pastor for many, many years. We don't do this for the enjoyment, I can promise you. We love people and we get hurt by people. Just like you do. We're not bulletproof. (laughs) Just because God places that in you doesn't mean that you're bulletproof. We still cry. We're making choices as to what kind of heritage we're going to leave behind. It's not about us. It's not about our comfort and preference. It's about leaving a heritage, leaving a godly heritage. The worst thing that could happen is that a church, is that in a church that starts strong, a church that runs long, is that it could be said when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done. Start great, start well, do awesome, but end tragically. That's been the demise of thousands and thousands of assemblies. Apostolic Pentecostal assemblies closing daily. Because somehow, somehow culture crept in 
apostates came in because people quit talking about their testimony. When the generational transformation took place, somehow there was no, te- no story, no testimony that came with it, but rather a compromising example that was handed down. I say today that we fight for what is true. We fight for what is right. I say we fight for and stand for what is godly. I say we stand and fight for truth. I say we stand and hold the banner of Jesus high. I say we pass this to the next generation in our house, in this house. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Oh, I wish there was somebody that would declare that this morning. I wish there was somebody that was already at the altar declaring some things. Come on, this thing's open. Church, come on, come on. Oh, don't get, don't get bummed out yet. You ready to make, go, come on, come on, come on. Oh, y'all getting scared. I'm not gonna do anything to you. I didn't bring any fairy dust. Everybody that's walking up here, I want you to declare audibly, as for me and my house, and what I'm talking about is you. If you can't change the brick and mortar that you live in or who you're with, that's okay. You're gonna talk about you today. The vessels of clay. If you're new in church and this was a little bit different for you, all you have to do is say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. It's done. You don't have to be labor. Some people tarry longer than what really they need to, but it's instantaneous once you ask God to forgive you and then begin to thank him and ask him to fill you, to fulfill the promise of the death, burial, and resurrection right here today. It can happen right here. With hands raised and surrender right now. Surrender to him. Raise your palms. Let him pour out on you. Come on. Come on. Come on, men. Come on. Declare it audibly. Let the devil know. Let the world know. Proclaim. As for me and my house. Ah, Come on. Come on, men. All right, moms. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.